G'day everyone and welcome to episode 43 of X-Band the Phantom podcast. With me as always is Jermaine, you recovered from your trip um, across the across the Nullarbor there, Jermaine? I have, mate. Have you recovered from your big day? Oh, uh, it's been a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan, how, how, how are you going there, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Good to be here again. Thanks thanks very much. Yeah, it's good. It's good being part. It's an exciting time being um, being a member of the Phantom Podcast at the moment, isn't it, uh, Dan? Oh, it absolutely is. It's uh, it's an exciting time all over Australia. Absolutely. And, and, and in the Phantom world. Yep. Um, so, so much. So I'm stumbling over my words. Okay, so we, we've had a few um, a few issues since our last um, comic podcast. So we've got one, two, three, four, five. I think half a dozen throughs to go through, and of course we've got dynamite and a bit of Hermes news as well. All set, boys. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, we're set, mate. Are you okay? <laughs> uh, we'll struggle through. That's it. Us teachers have been on holidays for two weeks, uh, Jermaine. We're not used to talking anymore. You're going to have to bear with us. Oh, first day back and you always stumble over your words. and yeah, <laughs> That's exactly right. Again. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we'll start off with issue 1753, which was, um, there was a lot of publicity about this one being Felmang's first, um, very, yeah, very first story. And for the very first time, it was published in English. So um, what do we think of the Raiders of the Great King's Tomb? Uh, Jermaine? Um, I enjoyed it. It's very, it's a very simple story. Yep. Um, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing, um, earth shattering or, you know, a really in-depth story, but, and the art's, the art's very simple. It's, um, it's, it's good to see. I, um, I quite like it and I like the touch that Fruit did with it and bringing it into publication as well. Simple and clear, like like big boxes and, and nice and clear. I thought. What what about you there, Dan? Yeah, hmm. I'd agree with I'd agree with that on the art. I certainly um you know the the, the big boxes and nice and clear drawings and um, very clean style. I, I can't say I enjoyed the story particularly much um, though. Like I thought, uh, just just lots of big jumps and plot holes and strange moves uh, just to just to get the plot moving very quickly. I thought. Um, so look, it was a it was a fun little story, but um, so, certainly nothing earth shattering. I noticed in the um, the message from the publisher, but uh, they weren't really sure. He said the 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 writer was probably Giovanni Fiorentini, but uh, I, I'm not shocked that the the author didn't put his name to it. To be honest, so <laughs> it's not one you're going to be coming back to. Yeah. It's no, it it was published in 1967, so that's older than us. Yeah. Um, and back back then, a lot of um, uh, a lot of writers actually didn't get credit. It was mainly focused on the art. And I think even if we, um, uh, if you look at the first panel, there's nothing to indicate that it was Fellman either. Um, in his latest mm-hmm. stories, he would always um, uh, put his signature in a few different places, but the signature is not even at the end of this as well. So. Um, no. what, I that first panel, I, used to do that. Yeah, so yeah. I I actually, looking that. at the first panel, I thought for a second that Glenn Ford had drawn it because it's got the nice big Ford in the in the uh, the drawing as he tends to do. Write <laughs> yeah. his signature in there. And, and you've got Felming written down there, just, just there that, with Ford as well. And you do indeed. Capital Fel, yeah, Felming capital. capital Ford. Yeah. yeah. Maybe for maybe Glenn actually did add that in. You know, just edited the art <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> He's even got the backward R at the top there, so it probably is the the signature Romano Filming. 
that he's included. Yeah. And maybe no, the author um... was some bloke named Capital, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. And what do we think of the, um, the, the, the translation? I know it was a little bit of a bugbear of mine, and then I saw later in, in later issues, um, I think Andreas has, has mentioned it to Dudley, that, um, the name of the, of the Phantom, they keep calling him the Masked Man. So they, they took a real literal translation of, um, is it Luomo Mascarato or whoever it is, and, um, mm. just keep calling mm. him the Masked Man. Well, he is the Masked Man. It kind of affects the flow a bit. I, I don't mm. mind it when they've done it in the the speech captions, but when it's in the um, you know the editorial uh, with lightning speed, link ramps to the mm. masked man's arm, and they to carry the masked man, you know that's when it should be the phantom or our hero or whatever. Yeah. Um, if it, if it's the yeah. characters saying it, you can certainly understand that. Yeah. Page eleven is another example of where that happens as well. Yeah, for sure. Now, Jermaine, did you read that story first or did you read Heart of Darkness first while looking at this issue? Um, I must admit, I did do the Heart of Darkness first. And what did you think of it? Of part um, 7. Of part 7? Um, yeah, I must admit, it's, um, this, part, this part was good, but it's, um, there's like a few areas where it, um, it, it definitely has a few lull moments which coming up into some of the other parts as well but it's almost um uh it's almost needed because you have such a short sharp action sequence and then you have kind of like a lull moment which kind of sets the scene for another big action sequence if you know what i mean yeah Um, building the drama yeah um then you've got um it kind of like, for instance, like you've got Diana um, getting the antidote and stuff like that. It, that that almost was kind of like um, forgotten about with the story. The fact that you know Diana was dying and needed the antidote. Ah, so that's why the family was in the middle of Egypt. That's right. That's yeah, right. it was. It was. Um, I don't know. It was. It was. It kind of got lost in. in if you, yeah, it's important because it kind of created the story and created the sequence of events and stuff, but the fact that she was dying almost became a, um, a back, you know, it took a backward part of the actual story. Yeah. Actually, the whole poison thing did, really, because uh, it might have been mm. in part six, I think, the Phantom himself got poisoned and there was, um, in, in this, he's going, oh, that's right, you've poisoned me and, and reveals how it was done. But then it's also very important that he's going to shoot the Phantom because he's got to die that way, and then they want to blow him up, and then they, you know, then him recovering himself is almost a forgotten thing as well. So yeah. um, that whole, the whole poison poison plot altogether really seemed like a a forgotten forgotten plot point. Hmm. But I think um, the like the because you don't really have those pages. To be able to fill the the different areas of the plot with only a couple of pages per part, if you know what I mean. Even though the story is, even though the story is so many pages long, each you know there's only what a couple of pages for each part, so you you have to skip some stuff almost to the detriment of um, actual story in a sense. I think perhaps. Um... The way that I read it today, because because I knew we were reviewing the comics, I thought I'd go back and read. Because to be to be 
completely upfront, I actually hadn't read any of the Heart of Darkness parts before today um, because I just I don't know I, three or four pages and then you, I would have I would have been terrible in the fifties and sixties when all you got was a, a daily newspaper strip waiting for the next day. I just didn't like the parts and waiting for the parts, so I read it all in its entirety today. And and in that regard, I actually thought that part seven stood up pretty well. Um, as it turns out, we find out that part seven is the last part of chapter one. This is the mm. I think it's not it's not until the next issue where it says, "Oh, we're now into chapter two. And this does actually work pretty well as the the climax of a chapter, I thought. Um, and with Andre having his having his moment of redemption there, just as that, that, I thought that was really well done actually, because he he smashes the phantom over the head, and you think, "Oh my God, he's gone bad again." And then you find, oh, it's it's so he can actually save the Phantom. I thought that I thought that little moment in his character was was handled really really well. So, what did you guys think of the um, uh, like the front and the back cover? I really liked them. Oh, sorry to jump in, but I, I really liked the the covers. Um, I thought Filmings and and um, you know really suits the story. It's not a part of the story, but you can tell where it's sort of come from. Um, and then to actually see a red phantom on a fru uh, on the back cover, that's unusual, but uh, but a nice mm. touch, I thought. Mm. And what, weren't the, well, at least one of these um, covers um, available as a print at, at Supernova? Yeah, the filming one was. Okay, um, Jermaine's just had to pop out for a little bit, so uh, Dan and I will, will keep it going. Um, which one would you like to uh, go next with, Dan? Would you want to go to the Black Fire, or do you want to go to... Um, Matt Turner's. Well, what do you say we talk about Black Fire? Because then we can sort of do Nat Turner's Spirit four, five, six, all as all as one go. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Oh, excuse me, good idea as well. Okay. So, um, so the Black you know, Black Fire parts one and two um, brings the our hero down under. Well, brings a couple of generations of the hero down under. Mm. Um, have you read this story before? I did read it when it first when it was first printed, and I forget now how long ago that was, but uh, I hadn't read it for a long time, and so it was it was like uh, revisiting it. I, I actually read through it thinking, oh, is this the one where Phantom meets Bob Hawke and was and was waiting for that moment, but that must be in a different story. Oh, yeah, I was, yeah, I had that in the back of my head too, and then, yeah, well, it didn't happen. Of course. No. <laughs> um, I'd only just picked up the original printing of, of this, whichever number that one was. Mm. Um only a couple of years ago, so I'd only read it a couple of years ago, but I thought I'd, I'd, I'd read it again just to, to make sure things are, are fresh in my mind. And um, I always get a bit of a, a bit of a chuckle when um, you know people from overseas write about Australia, and you know on the, on the whole it's all good. But um, how you can reach one place which is a couple of days, well, was it a couple of days walk from the Northern Territory, or a couple of, couple of days walk from Sydney, and still yes. get there in the same place? And yeah, I don't think. They really appreciate how big this country really is, and not really the understanding yeah. of distances, is there? <laughs> no, not really. But apart from no. that, it's an enjoyable story. I, I, I always liked it. Yeah, I, I really like it as a as a story. From you know, as you say, it's in two parts with the sixteenth uh, Phantom, eighteenth Phantom, uh, visiting Australia, eighteen twenty eight. So eighteen, uh, the eighteenth Phantom. Yep. Um, so the 18th Phantom comes to Australia, and I really, I really enjoyed that part um, where he's spending time with the um, indigenous tribes and that sort of 
that sort of aspect of Australia? I think that that's something that oh, look, it, it is. There's no doubt it's massively underrepresented in comics. There's no um, there's no indigenous um, comics and, and that, that have ever made the mainstream. Um, I don't, obviously, there's um, Clever Man. I don't know if you've been watching that on the ABC. No, I've seen advertised. I've been meaning to watch it, but um, no, oh, it's seen. excellent. It's really, really good. Um, and I think um, the Clever Man and, and Phantom would be good friends. I think. <laughs> but uh, uh, but so yeah, I really enjoyed that first part, um, and and all of the interactions with the the tribes people are, are dealt with really really respectfully, as you'd expect from obviously the, obviously the Phantom and, and what he brings from um, Bengala, um, and then to have that same story and and the link of the painting come through and, and the reason for the painting, and to link that through to the modern day Phantom coming back to Australia, I thought that was what done done really well. Yeah, well, I, I thought so too. One thing that um that I always felt was hanging was that um that art dealer who who came in, uh, Dalwood. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's obviously got the same name as the um as one as a character in the in the first part, but mm. his link there's there's never a, a link made. No, no, and I think you know. We're we're left to speculate that it's probably a grandson or a great grandson or, or whatever, but um, no, you'd like that that moment to have been made clear. Yeah, but um, maybe it's done intentionally just for us to to say, oh, I wonder if he's a you know a relative, and but yeah, of course he is. But then you know maybe part three and you say, no, he's not. He's just some random dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but who uh, happens to have the same name? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, it's just like. This Mr. Walker just happens to have the same name as the bloke who um, donated the, the artwork in the first place. Yeah. 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 There's actually a bit of symmetry, and I'm only just noticing it now. With, with um, We've just spoken about 1753, where the Phantom was lost in the desert and strapped to a camel and all the rest of it. And the same thing happens in uh, in this story. He's oh, lost right. in there. And, and, and then again, there's a fortunate save just as he's about to expire from uh, dehydration and uh, and all the rest of it. So, oh, of course there is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, man who cannot die the same way in a few times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, did you did you get the um, the original cover or did you end up with the jam cover from the Supernova or? Um, yeah, I'll put an order for for the jam cover. That's um, well, when I when I cross Jermaine's hands with, with pieces of silver, it will it will come my way. <laughs> Maybe he's not after some black opals or whatever they have in that. <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're a little bit hard to come by. Yep. So, so what did you think of the cover of the um, oh, well, what's the word for it? The main mainstream release, I suppose. Yeah, um, I don't mind it. Um, now that I've actually got a physical copy of it, when I first saw um, an image of that front cover, I thought, you know, it looked like he had a moustache, like our, our boy. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, you, know, you know, thinking, oh, Tom Selleck, he's, he's taking. A <laughs> but um, having the you know, the thing in the flesh, it's fine. Um, you know, can you actually see the shadow and, and the shading, and that's good. Um, but some people might think it's busy, but I don't see that. You know, we've got the the, the, the big phantom pose with the hands across. That looks good. Mm. You know, over that, that fighting scene, that's, you know, nice front cover um, with the Sydney Harbour in, in the background, which all looks good. The back, um, that strip with the, with the hot desert sun, just mm. seems a little bit out of place. Um, yeah, it, it, I don't know if I mean, have that rectangle there or not. Yeah. yeah, he's tried to work that in with the the other eye of the skull, obviously. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, I do. I, I do understand where you're coming from there because it doesn't. Perhaps if, and I'm not an artist, and there's no way I could actually achieve this effect. But if oh, you could no. have that sort of bleed out over the top of the the SOS phantom there, that might have been mm. um, been pretty spectacular. But I'm certainly not going to, to criticise that because, as I say, I oh. <laughs> far beyond my capabilities. Yeah, absolutely. There's no way we could do that. But um, yeah, and if that's just the one little sore point, I think that's quite minor. And yeah, yeah absolutely. But, but the whole thing is a um. A good production, and I'm looking forward to um to seeing the um the supernova cover. Yeah, I'm sure, I can't course. even remember now where I read it, but I'm sure I saw something from Gary Chalinor, the artist of this one, um where he'd been asked um you know what was the process, oh, oh it was it the interview that we that Critical Chamber published, probably was. <laughs> <laughs> Little plug for the website there that there I we clearly go. read but can't remember. Sorry, Joe. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, where he said that he'd uh, produced the strip, uh, produced the picture, and um, the only guidance that Fru had given him was that uh, they'd love it to have the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge in the background there to to localise it a little bit more too. So, okay, yeah, I do remember reading that, but um, yeah, I read lots of things, so I probably on, read it. Yeah. Probably read it on Chronicle Chamber. Of course, I did. I'm sure Jermaine would be telling us that that's exactly where we saw it in the interview that he <laughs> organised yeah. and then put up. So. <laughs> uh, um, anything else about that one? Uh, no, oh, well, unless you want to talk about the, the jam cover. So I know you haven't got a copy of it there, but... I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, look, I, I really do. I really like it. It's um, not something I've ever seen before, or obviously on a through. Um, five different images... All coming together. Um, I did a, a similar deal to yourself, where John Cookson for me went to um, Supernova and got the signed version. Um, unfortunately, he, Jamie Johnson, was one of the artists had to duck out to go to a wedding um, oh, right. at the moment that John was there. So I've got it signed by the other four, which is which is nice. Um, yeah, look, probably of the four, I'd say that the and. and uh, this is a bit of heresy, I suppose, but the Antonia Lemus one probably just doesn't look quite as clean as the other the other four pictures. Okay. Um, that's on there, um, and that's the one that's sort of central in the front cover. So, um, but but as a as a whole package, where you, you've got sort of five different scenes from the story done by five different artists or interpreted by five different artists, I think it works really really well. And uh, for special issues, I know that Fru have said that they are planning on going back to Supernova, and for special issues like that sort of thing. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's fantastic. Oh, it would look fantastic as a as a big poster to to put up on the wall with all five of them. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. And I know they've released those five as the folio, yeah. uh, which I think we we can talk about later. But um, uh, as uh, this single image, I, you know, the five of them together yeah. as a big poster, I think would be, uh, be quite outstanding as well. Oh, good stuff. Um, and I've, what I mentioned before about the um, about the name of the Phantom in the, in the Atan story, it was just yeah in this issue that in the um, Phantom forum that um, Andreas brings it to Dudley's attention and um, so yeah Dudley addresses that and mm. so um, and I, I really take my hat off to Dudley for for the way he responds to all of these Phantom forums. He's um, you know he's not afraid to to put in criticism and then respond to it and take it on board and say yes those are errors. Um, yeah. You know, this is our first attempt at translating Italian and blah, 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 blah. So, um, you know, as he finishes there, if we fail, somebody will always let us know. So he's not um, <laughs> he's not shying away from it and he's, he's happy to take it on board and, and always looking to improve. So, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think that's that's great. Thank you, Dokey. Um, so we'll move on to to Nat Turner's spirit, and we we come to the um, epic conclusion now of of this uh, giant six parter. Um, and what I really really like about this story, like um, it's in you know six parts, but each uh, part there's always a lot going on. It's always it's always a story within itself. Within a story, yeah. Yeah. Whereas you know the things that we're getting from America, you know the King's Quest stuff, nothing seems to be happening, and I'll, I'll, I'll whinge about that when we when we get to it, especially in part three. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. Whereas here, there's yeah, each part is a self-contained story, much like you know the um, uh, um, Heart of Darkness, and that's on a much smaller scale. But there's always mm. something happening. You know, there's no dead air. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. And I'm not usually um, uh, not usually someone who likes the American history stories so much. You know, I, I you know I still enjoy them, um, but I'm not an American history buff by any means, and so. Um, the ones that are set there um, don't appeal to me as much, but like you say, the fact that each each story, each of these issues, and again because they've got the heart of darkness as the second part, you've got um, you know two two stories that are moving along pretty quickly and um, and are self-contained as as well. Yeah. So uh, this this first part, um, 1754, a diabolical plan. Um, I can't. What's that? Do we do them all as one, or just try and do? Part by part. I'm trying, I can't remember where the zombie is. I think the zombie, that's fantastic. The zombie start is in five, I think. Uh, oh, that's right. Towards the, end of, towards the end of this one, part four, is when they start saying, yes, we're going to, we're going to have a zombie, I suspect. But yeah. it, it's been, it but has been, been... Yeah, rain snakes in this one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It has been drawn out over a long time. I, I was just looking back in, in 17, uh, 1735, sort of in the middle of 2015, was when part one came out. So, yeah, yeah, so part one and two came out together, and, that, and yeah, I thought that was one of the, the best stories of, of last year, and particularly the art. I gave that my uh, my tick for the for the best art issue, and um, is it Leppardin? Who's doing yes. that work? And he, he's on song with every part. Like, um, I certainly hope that Savio put something great out this year because he's, he's really got something to 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 challenge. Because uh, yep. I'm on record saying that Savio is my favourite, but the artwork here in Lebanon's story is great, and I know there's a lot of story, uh, a lot of conversation about black and white and um, and colour. This story works in black and white, like oh, doesn't it? Oh, the use of blacks is just fantastic. And those pages where it's it seems to be more white on black rather than black on white, and that's yep. in, that's in every issue. It, it's um, it's great. It's a, it's a great change to every other story that we've been getting. Yeah, and I don't think this would um I don't think this would work particularly well in colour. I think it might become a bit too cartoony or, or like obviously you're dealing with zombies and, and voodoo and all the rest of it and um that's a stretch of the imagination at the best of times. <laughs> but um then I think if you you started trying to bring your your purples and greens and bright reds and all the rest of it to to this, I don't think it'd work. I I I absolutely agree with you. Some of the the pages where they've even the entire border, and I, I guess I'm looking uh, particularly at page 15, 16, 17, sorry, of 1754, and that's the entire. It's, it's black to start with, and then they've pasted the, the panels over the top, which is a mm. really stands out in contrasts. Um, and, it, and that's the same as I think just 22. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And I think that that, um, that effect for this type of story um, and this subject matter is just sensational. Now, Lebanon, Lebanon's really um, got a hold of it here. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think we have um, a special guest has just come back to us. Are you, are you there with us, Jermaine? <laughs> yeah, crisis diverted. Um, <laughs> you know, bigger bigger issue than um, you know than Israel and the Arabs fighting or anything like that. And that's an upset, baby. <laughs> yeah, you've always got to keep them calm. So we'll we'll just talk about mate, um, hard work. <laughs> yeah, we, we've been there, mate. <laughs> yeah, fathering never ends. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're just getting to the end of um, part four of that turn of spirit there, uh, Jermaine and. Um, this is the one with the where the snakes rain down, and um, we're, we're saying how um, we think it works much better in black and white than it would in color. Like the blackness adds to the mysterious mysteriousness mm. of it, and the um, the whole tone of the story. Definitely, um, but in saying that, it does look still look good in color. Um, I've got the uh, egg mob stories and stuff, but I know what you're saying. Oh, has this, um, this has been published in color, has it? Yeah, with Egmont. Okay, because I was, I was just saying that I didn't think it had worked particularly well. Um, no, it, it works, but I agree that uh, Le Pen, or Lepinen, or however you say his, his uh, name, his art definitely looks better, in my opinion, in black and white. Mm. Especially his period pieces as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like pages. <laughs> You know, 22, just, you know, it's really, really good. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll skip Heart of Darkness just, just for um, the minute and we'll, we'll just concentrate on that turn of spirit and then we'll go back to um, the... Um, yeah, it's a good idea. Heart of Darkness. Okay. So, part five, Revolt. So, in this story, um, the Southerners want the African-Americans to revolt, the, the, the slaves um, to to try and revolt and they're going to gun them down and that'll be their excuse to say, you know, we've got to keep them under control. So, you know, slavery is the way to go. Um, so it's all heading, you know, towards a, a, a big conclusion, you know, something's big, something big is going to happen. And, um, and then that something big is a giant zombie who, um, they say is the spirit of Nat Turner, Nat Turner and he's returned. And, um, so what do we, what do we think of this one, uh, fellas, Jermaine, what do you, what do you reckon of this one? The it's. <laughs> I wonder how many um, black texters you've made through <laughs> doing this. He loves them. Yeah. Um, the darkness is great. Yeah, it, it's it's but it, it matches the story because it's such a dark story. Um, it's very it's very fast flowing. Like um, I remember reading it and knowing that there was two parts to it and um, getting to the end of it like almost like well. You know what's the second part going to be? Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. What's um, the last chapter going to be all about? We've kind of wrapped it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I reckon, I reckon I'm, I'm happy with it. I reckon it's goes fast. I like how like the fandom um, plays with their superstitiousness, like in page seventeen and eighteen and stuff like, like that. Yeah. Where he you know sets up little traps and stuff like that, and he uses his mythology to gain trust of. Um, uh, of you know of the slaves and stuff like that, so it's it's got all the the, the classic uh, phantom elements yeah, that we the, all love. The good old Lee Folk theatrics. 
Mm. Yeah. Which should keep all the forkers happy. Dan? Well, it, it, it <laughs> certainly kept me happy. I, uh, and, and you're right. When I saw those little things, like uh, you've just mentioned, page 17, uh, 18, where um, he sets alight the, uh, the what, do you, what do you call them? The... Um, wasn't demons from hell, but straw men. Straw men, yeah, that's exactly right, and and uh, sets that up. I think that goes really, really well. So those theatrics are great. I think that, um, and, and it's only as you as you were talking there before, Stephen, that it that it struck me that it, I don't know when this was um, this story first came out with Egmont. Uh, it'll probably tell me at the start. Only this year. Um, it's very topical at the moment, and you talk about you know trying to get a, a a black uprising against the whites that's sort sort of been um, you know at the moment. I certainly don't want to get too political, but with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and what's been going on in Dallas, that all of this mm. um, sort of the race wars and that sort of thing, it's it's extremely topical. So yeah, unfortunately, a happy or well, not happy, but unfortunately a coincidence, I would say. Mm. Mm. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, I, I really did enjoy the the fight between the Phantom and the the, the zombie. Um, I thought that was handled really well, and then, then the the splashing of powder and getting him to turn on his master, and uh, the two of them ending at the bottom of the swamp. I thought that was done really really well. I know there's at least one Facebook fan who's disappointed there wasn't a big bear hug of some sort in there, but uh, <laughs> uh, for the most part, that uh, the whole fight was handled really well. I thought. Yeah. So would have you preferred a the fight? Ending the way it did with the with the pouch of powder, or would have you preferred the Phantom actually using his muscle and wit to be able to defeat the um, the zombie? Oh, muscle and wit probably, but I think in the context of this story and the narrative that they've that um, they've they've gone with here um, with the with the voodoo and the, the the black magic and all the rest of it that, um, uh, you know, I can understand why they've gone this way. And, and, and there is an irony to the fact that then the zombie turns on his master and, um, and, and takes yeah. him down. So I think that works well too. Otherwise, um, cause you know, as we know, the Phantom doesn't kill anybody. Um, this is an effective way for the zombie and the master to both be killed without, uh, without the Phantom pulling the trigger, so to speak. Mm. He, he just sets up the circumstances for it to happen. Yes, that's right. That's right. Which is an entirely different thing and means that uh, his reputation of never having killed anyone remains. <laughs> oh, yes. And so the story ends with... Well, um, can you kill someone that's already dead? Well, it's, it's really the um, the zombie master who's probably the evil Bacor. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big walk, Walking Dead fan. Um, I don't know whether you can do that or not. I think, well, yeah, I think once is enough. <laughs> um, and then, uh, of course, the, the, the uprising doesn't happen, and he convinces the, the slaves to just to go back and say everything's going to be all right. You know, stay calm. Everything's going to be all right. And um, and the slave traders are, get raided and they escape, which sets up the last part. So part six, the king of Louis, Louisiana. Um, and I must say that I didn't think as, as much of this last part as I have of parts one to five. Um, the the mm. art, of course, is still fantastic. Um, Even the, the story's good. good. Oh, yeah, the story's good. 
you got your mad Frenchman there, or whoever it is who wants mm. to be king of the king of the country. I'm the um, Frenchman mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I thought there was a, there was a cheeky little part in here where um, we spoke about translating earlier. Um, what page is it on? Yeah, here it is on page nine, and um, you know the the phantom comes behind the um the boat captain or you know the the bloke who's driving the the, the raft. You know, silence, no sudden movements, and just on bird. But that's that's a bit cheeky if you know what murder means. <laughs> yes, just left untranslated. Just leave leave it like that. Yeah, that that, that was good there. Um. Uh, Dudley or whoever, whoever was doing that. That was a nice little cheeky wink there. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. but I must admit, the story, like the story, was good, like what we just said. But it didn't really add anything to the final part of Matt Turner's Spirit Part Five. You know, one to five. It was yeah. kind of a bit. Yeah. Well, about the, about the only thing that it did was to, in in terms of that story arc, the six parts, was to get rid of the, or, or to have a final dealing with the, the slave traders and the masterminds like it was the, the, the final setup mm. of those guys and I wonder if perhaps that's um, perhaps part of the problem with having the shorter stories that we've got now, they've got, they've gone down to what, 22 pages and, and perhaps if part five had been able to be 25 pages, that's three extra pages where he could have just chased them down and dealt with them without having to go through a whole extra chapter so to speak yeah, I, I, I'm um, with you on that one. I, I felt exactly the same really. You, you didn't need 22 pages to to wrap it up. You just needed an extra three in that last one. Mm. So, look, as you've said, Jermaine, this this is a good story as a standalone, and and perhaps it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work entirely as a standalone because you do need the the bit of background as to how bad these bad guys are exactly. Because the plot that they've come up with here oh, we're going to take over Cuba and start our own new country, and therefore slavery will be okay and we'll be kings again. Um, that's a bit, bit tenuous for mine, but um, on the back of, oh, well, this is their last grasp at it after all of their other plans have been thwarted by the Phantom, then, you know, fair enough. But, um, uh, yeah, in terms of the setting in the swamp and, the, and, the, and again, you've said Lebanon's art and um, the way that... Oh, I mean, there's some really graphic graphic images in here on page 21 in particular when you when the Mad King's house is burning down and suddenly there's blokes on fire everywhere and um, you know that's that's pretty full on it, um, reading that yeah and seeing the blood come down the stairs whoa yeah. and, and like the uh, bloke says what in the hell you know what's going on <laughs> yeah it, so it full on. there's there's some amazing there's some amazing parts to this but I think yeah as, as, a, as a sixth part of a six parter it was probably um, a bit of a letdown in that regard I don't think that um all the Game of Thrones fans will be very disappointed if season seven turns out to be as uh, as disappointing as as this part six is, for instance. Mm. But I think I think you almost have to look at it as a whole. So you look at like the whole six parts, and I think if you look at the whole six parts, it definitely worked. Um, yeah, and I, I must admit I did like the fact that um, we actually got to read the last three parts almost back to back to back. Yes. It, it, it really does help reading a story having that conti- uh, continuity, which continue, yeah, whatever that word is. <laughs> Everyone knows what it's saying. Everyone's yelling at the podcast at the moment. Um, but yeah, you, you need you need to have that. Um, 
And I think it was wise, because I think, like, part four, I think Dudley held back for a while. Yeah, so he could get... Well, there was the... We, we were saying, I think, yeah, might have been just did. before you came on, 1735 was the middle of last year, and then um, that was when parts one and two came out together. Mm. Um, part three is 1750, so 15 issues later, it's uh, and only six or seven issues ago. So we did we did get the three, four, five, six all in, in pretty quick succession um, yeah. after that long gap. I, I think if we'd had to wait a couple of months between five and six, six would have made... Absolutely no sense at all. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right in what you say there. The fact that they came out so quickly together um, certainly helped them. Yeah. yeah, like, for instance, if you just for people who are either listening to it or have got their fruit comics in front of them, if you open the first uh, page down the bottom, it will have where it was first published. So if you look at number four, it was, um, it was number 4206. 20, you know, 2016. And if you look at part five, it was 12. It was mm. number 12. So that's eight parts that mm. The, mm. The, the Swedish and Norwegian readers had to wait between the two, where we only had to wait like the one issue, which was the um, the supernova issue. So I, I must admit that in that sense, it was good to see... Um, Dudley holding part four, so that way we can read part four, five, and six. That, you know, yep. there is, there is. So well, just the, I thought that just, was good. Just the fact that we've been able to talk about the three of them together hit now. You know, the, we wouldn't have been able mm. to do that if they'd been spread out uh, over too long. So, um, no, you, you're absolutely right there. It's, it's. I completely understand why you wouldn't have been able to hold back and publish all six. You know, bang, 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 bang. Um, to, to yeah. get them as close as possible, though they've done well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just going through part six once more. I think it feels like an epilogue. Like you've had your main story. Now we just wrap up our little loose ends there with the bad guys. So yeah, yeah, yeah true, yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. Um, now we've been able to have you know three parts of um that turn spirit in, in quick quick succession, and we've had the same with um. Chapter 2 of Heart of Darkness there, Jermaine. Yeah. Now, this story was um, printed in black and white, I believe, um, which is why, you know, if you look at um, the artwork from this story compared to his story, his later stories, which were done for the colour, there is a huge difference. So this uh, is one Croy we're talking about? I've found that part one... Sorry? Oh, I was just clarifying the artist. That's John Joan Boyks. Boys? Yeah, John Joan Boyks. Yeah. Don't know how to say that one again. Um <laughs> but yeah, so uh if you look at like his modern day work which is designed for the colour and you look at the Heart of Darkness you can definitely tell um that he uses a lot more black because that's you know the medium, so it kind of follows on the similar discussion we were having before. Um, um, I must admit the this apart from the art being you know very amazing like I love I love the um, uh, you know the skull the skull throne one on page twenty seven there's two of them on twenty seven but the story must in my opinion this part and a couple of the other parts 
it's taken a little while to actually kind of kick back into gear. It's like they're, they're almost trying to set it up too much, if you know what I mean. Like with the scene in the bar and the blokes talking about this place, was it a temple or whatever? And yeah, and like I got, I understand the fact, you know, you can't have action every, you know, every single part for every single, you know, um, because you know you've only got what is it, four or five pages. So I know there's there's, there's limitations and all that, but this chapter two, um, so far, it seems to be a little bit slow. I think that's magnified by the fact that a lot of it is rehashing the Fire of Life story. Mm. Um, yeah. It's it's almost it almost assumes that you haven't read Fire of Life, um, and and perhaps that was the way it was published at the time and and all the rest of it. But um, the way that Fru's done it with Dudley publishing Fire of Life immediately before Heart of Darkness started, and again I only read that again this afternoon just to because I said in the letter from the publisher that I should. Um, and then <laughs> hit it hit it all hard this afternoon. That did become very oh okay. They're going to tell me the whole story again, and in fact repeat repeat some of the captions, uh, some of the frames. And um, part two in seventeen fifty six is almost a uh, an abridged version of that story. Yeah, it is, um, and, and it's it's almost it's like you know like, don't get me wrong it's. It's a you know it's amazing and stuff like that. It's you know it's still a good story, but it's we're definitely in a bit of a lull at the moment. Well, we uh, in the fire of life. Um, Dudley said that there was forty nine parts to it, so this is parts what eight, nine, and ten of forty nine. So we're yeah. still very much you know if if you setting the story up. Yeah, absolutely. Create, establishing who the characters are, what are the plot complications, and all that sort of thing. We are in the you know, you've got to have that period of time where you're really establishing what the story is going to be, and you'd you'd like to think that in the last, you know, in 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 parts 40, 41, 42, 43, then it's going to be all hammer and tongs. So. Yeah, definitely, and and it's definitely um, with what you can see, there's a lot of different elements being pulled into the story as well. So it's mm. it's it is you know. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more characters having to be introduced, a lot more plots being introduced um, and set up and stuff like that. So we're probably, especially at the start of the chapter as well, um, which technically this is what it is. It's you know mm. chapter part one, chapter part two, and chapter part three. Um, you know, it's we we um, you know we're we're still setting up. And I think there are some interesting little touches there, like hints of what's to come. And I know I've jumped ahead now to, to issue 1757 and, and part three of this chapter two. On page 27 there, um, Amatep or, um, or Hamoud or, or whatever he's calling himself in, in this incarnation uh, is struggling with uh, control of, um, of his, of his power, temper. And yeah. he says, if, if yeah. I lose my temper, the flames will return. So he's, you know, there's a little bit of a, a weakness there that we can see too so I think that's yeah, an interesting I, I, yeah, I thought that was an interesting point too and I, when I was reading that and you know I cannot uh, it cannot happen now I need a controller so oh so this bloke's not in control of everything he, he... that's right yeah and I think I think you almost need that I don't know whether you can call it a human side but you almost need that 
to be able to make it an interesting fight because otherwise, you know, it's, it's almost luck when the Phantom defeats someone that's really, really powerful. Well, like we were talking about before when he's fighting the zombie in Nat Turner's spirit, like, if, you, if you're dealing with the supernatural and and as, as a focus, that supernatural is not something that I handle particularly well um, <laughs> and, and I'm... And I'm not a, you know, not a massive fan of the supernatural stories. They're probably the ones that I that I enjoy the least. But yeah, this this moment where this three thousand year old reincarnated mummy, who's all powerful and has the orb, and I think he he's come back to life for the second time now. Um, yeah, he the fact that he, he's struggling with, I don't know, like you said, whether it's a human element necessarily, but uh, the, you can see a chink in his armor that the Phantom's going to be able to exploit later on. Yeah. Every character mm. needs a kryptonite, just to correct. You know, give you know hold people's interest. You know, how can you defeat them? You got to find out what well, find out what their kryptonite is. Find out you know yeah. what their weakness is and and exploit it. And then yeah. the, the trick is often you know that discovering what the weakness is first, and that could often you know take some time. And they'll protect it as well. They'll, they'll you know do everything they can so you so not on show, you know, so you know, they seem all powerful. And um, so up until now, this, this um, 3,000-year-old bloke has seemed all powerful, and all of a sudden, oh, here we go, we, a moment of weakness. You know? um, so, yeah, looking forward to, to, to seeing what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And he's obviously still got the, the whole tribe under his under his command, except for the, the young lady. Mm. Um, and, yeah, even when she thinks it's safe, it, it's it's not. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying the, the, the story as it goes along. And yeah, the first two parts of this chapter were, were quite a bit of a lull, but this third part where we've got, um, running through the jungle and, you know, he's taking control of a whole village and the young lady's uh, running for her life, you know, things are getting exciting again. Mm. And I think that's maybe yeah. how we need to start seeing it now that, now that we know that there are chapters, because as I said before, I wasn't aware that they were going to be doing chapters and parts. Um, it yeah, certainly didn't look yeah, like that up until, until until they said chapter two, part one. You, I didn't know there was chapters. So if you look at that chapter in those seven parts and, and, and whether they're, whether there's seven chapters of seven parts and, and that's how it's going to be happening, if you look at each chapter as a as a narrative arc in itself, then you know it makes sense that it's, it's building here. So Definitely. I think we need to appreciate, well, maybe, maybe it's just me, I think um, you need to appreciate the, the the lulls, the 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 plot setups to be able to get a better ending. Yeah, I think the lulls are exaggerated, as you said, in these little four and five page snippets that we're getting. Mm. So um, it, it's got to be what three hundred and fifty, four hundred pages total that we're looking at with this thing. So if there's if they were yeah. to do a, a trade paperback for for want of a better term of Heart of Darkness once it's all finished and and Fru was able to to publish all of that in one go um, that'd be a that'd be a good sit down long read I would have thought mm -hmm. and then the lulls probably wouldn't be as exaggerated as well because you'd be able to read it all in you know in a sense in the one sitting yeah absolutely um anything else to to say about those? Well, there's, there was one uh, interesting letter, I thought, in the forum to um, in issue 1754, um, obviously sent in by a very astute and oh, clever author. Over the place, aren't we? 
<laughs> Sorry, you, mate. What, did you write one, did you? Oh, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to put names on people because, uh, yes, I did. And uh, Dudley was nice enough to reply. So, um, But I just, uh, I raised the question about a, uh, a Christmas cover for the Christmas special where we see the Phantom in a Christmas family setting sort of thing. Um, what would your thoughts be on that? Uh, I'm on page 33, starting at the bottom <laughs> of... Ah, the first column. Because the, the yeah. one I was reading was talking about the Paul Ryan issue, but hang on, that's not it. No, Different no, no, thing. no. Yeah. So, if you remember, um, it was a long time ago, issue 1248 was the last time that um, Frew had a genuine Christmas cover, and actually they used a Wilson McCoy art. Um, Is that the uh, one from Little Tom or whatever? Where yes. You yeah, can't pull right, the mask the, off. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And um, so I just sort of... Uh, and then I think Jim Shepard put the Phantom in a Santa hat in the corner of some of the Christmas issues and, and a, a sprig of holly in the in the word Phantom. But I, I think it would be... You see some of the stuff that Alex Savio produces and, and publishes on Facebook around Christmas time, Like there's some fantastic mm-hmm. Phantom at Christmas art available. And I, I just like to think, uh, as, I, as I've said in the letter, that uh, a Christmas a Christmas scene, of a walk of family Christmas um, in the deep woods, I think that would be... I think that would be really nice on the front of a Christmas cover, so... I agree. Oh, okay. yeah, I've got a, a um, scene now that around a, a roaring fire in a skull cave, and they've got their their stockings up around it, and you know they're all they're all just you know sitting around telling stories or singing carols. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's um. The devil uh, there, yeah. There's um comics review. They did something similar. They did like with all of their characters. So they had like Phantom, Tarzan, Flash, Mandrake. Modesty Blades and like a couple of others, all like decorating the Christmas tree and 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 it, it was for the December issue, so it was you know in a sense for the Christmas issue, and it did nice. kind of have that little special feel about it. Um, Moonstone did another one um, for their first Christmas special. This is going back probably ten you know ten years, um, where you know like the Phantom's got the Christmas tree over his shoulder and you know they're they're all kind of, you know, in a in a friend. All the characters are in like a friendly atmosphere pose, and it's very Christmassy. You know, it's like got the snow and stuff. You know, maybe not go to that extreme because um, it's the middle of summer for uh, for us Australians, and and they're in the jungle stuff. after all. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. I think um, you know something like that could could be good. All right, well, cool. That's uh, that's a hundred percent of all Phantom fans that I've spoken to about it are on my side. So, <laughs> I think uh, I think Dudley, if you're listening, we need to see it. So, did you just like re-raise that because you want like a free badge? I, I was like, oh, the free crew badge. Free crew. Absolutely, badge. <laughs> I want one of those. I'm, I'm sure we've put through enough um, sort of suggestions, and we've come up with um, you know new terms such as focus. Where's our free? We, we would love a free crew badge. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Should we like should we like say our postal address just over on here so that way we're done just like you know like note it down. <laughs> well, you've probably got all our emails now. We've we've all had letters published. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> um. So which because seeing I've been coming in a little bit late and we've done all the Nat Turners and have we done seventeen fifty five? Yeah, we did talk uh, yep. about that. Yep. 
Unless um, okay. you anything you want to add to it? No, that'd be fine. I just because I know we I wasn't really sure what we'd done. So, yep. so where are we now, Steve? Uh, we're up to King's Quest. Just, just one Ooh. last thing on those on those cover on. Sorry, just one last thing on those frues. The covers we've got two by Shane Foley, and I think that um, he's really stepping up as a, as a someone. Who, these are his first two, and they're fantastic. The the two on 1754 and 1757. Um, gee, I like his Phantom. I really do. I yeah, am, so we're I going really to shoot, like the one shoot shoot the like the yeah, the yeah, the other one was where he's firing the crocodile. Oh, yeah. He's, um, he's, he's really good against... Um, do you reckon RSPCA RS, RS, is going to be against him? You know, killing uh, <laughs> snakes and now... Yeah. You know, fighting crocodiles. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Possibly. Could have some troubles there. He's definitely got it. He's... Either him or them. He's definitely got it in against a couple of... <laughs> yeah. But no, you're right. The art um, the art quality is definitely increased. And it's good... To, like, as you, as uh, uh, most of the fans will probably know, uh, um, Fru was able to interview a couple of these new artists with Shane Foley and Gary um, Chalador, I think is the way you pronounce it. Um, and it's, it was actually kind of interesting um, interviewing them both, uh, them going through the process. And this is... So you mean, about... you mean Chronicle Chamber was able to interview them? You said yeah, through... Chron- yeah, yeah, sorry. So no, that's right. on Chronicle <laughs> Chamber, um, we've, we've posted an interview with Shane Foley and also Gary, right. and um, yeah. um, so they're on they're on the website. You can go and have a look at those. Well, I have I, I thoroughly re- embarrassed myself then while you were away, <laughs> Jermaine. I, I referred to some place I couldn't remember where that I'd read a uh, Gary Chalinor interview, and uh, we did save ourselves and say it probably was on the Chronicle Chamber website. I'm glad to hear that you can confirm that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was, um, and it was interesting interviewing them and finding out about their journey to actually becoming a fandom artist. It wasn't something that came overnight. Like they, um, Gary was shortlisted to do the first ever Phantom story. He even created some pages which we've published um, on the website. And Shane Foley was submitting artwork back in the 80s and 90s. So um, it's good to see some local talent getting... Mm as well as seeing some good international talent in filming and stuff like that. Now, just quickly talking about the covers, I remember, I think it was the last podcast we did where we talked about the signature series and about how we think Fru needed to get more new artists to be able to make the signature series worthwhile. Do you remember that conversation we had? Yeah, I do, yep. Um, well, it's good to see, and obviously they had probably already done it by the time we talked about it. But it was good to see that they had, they have got that because you know it's it's as much as it's great seeing, you know, Glenn Ford and Jeremy and Antonio. It's I think it's better in the long run for the signature series, but also as a as a as a fan that we're actually seeing different artists on the covers. I thoroughly agree with that. I jumped at the Signature Series and I've subscribed to it and it was only really 
two or three issues in and I thought, oh, hang on, I'm going to end up with 15 Glenn Ford <laughs> signatures every year. So, um, which is fine. I've got a lot of stuff signed by Glenn Ford, but uh, there's it, it's really good to see some of these other artists. I, I haven't received the the Gary Chalinor cover of Black Fire yet, so I'll have to follow that up. But uh, no, it is good to see some of the some new signatures on there, and they they need to do that. They need to have probably you know ten or twelve different ones every year to to keep the to keep the interest in that product alive. Exactly, exactly. I'm one of those rare people who have who've got the um, the rare non-signed Glenford editions of anything. <laughs> I'll be worth big bucks, mate. Don't, don't worry about that. That's what I hear. <laughs> it sounds like the... Uh, I'm sure I saw a conversation about the Supernova Blackfire issue that uh, someone's got a rare unsigned cover of uh, of the Blackfire. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, no, that's good. All right, regarding Kim's Quest, I want to blast Kim's Quest. want to blast... <laughs> you want to blast... We'll start with Perfect introduce it, Stephen. I'm working myself up. You work yourself up. Okay, so we, oh, what happened in King's Quest 1? Oh, we, we covered King's Quest 1 in, a, in an earlier podcast. Um, so we're up to, we'll start with King's Quest 2. We open here on Coralia, the underwater planet. It didn't happen too long ago. And we've got um, the, the green fish people uh, entertaining the visitors. Um, then it goes up into space and we've got Prince Valiant doing his thing. We've got Mandrake and, and Zarkov being drunk and flying, you know, multi-million dollar space shuttles through space. He's like your crazy uncle at Christmas time, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and then they have their, their big battle and Mandrake really does his thing and you know, magic's been fantastic and saves the day. And I, li- I like the battles there. And then we go to our next scene and we're up in space again with Flash and the Phantoms and, and uh, Jungle Jim. And they start getting attacked, and it's all happening. There's there's blasting, and there's um, coffee beans helping to protect a ship, and just you know. <laughs> then we get right to the end, and think, okay, so the Phantom Line's ended. I don't know. That's what I thought. But Jermaine, have I have I brought it up to read? I haven't. Okay, look, it's um, I I hadn't read. King's Quest 2, and um, as as on the previous podcast, if you listen to the podcast uh, with the interview with Luke, is he had built, he wouldn't tell me what the whole, um, he wouldn't tell me what the, the last page was all about. He said, I can't wait to listen to your, your reaction of it. And he just like built it up, built it up, built it up. And like he wouldn't tell me, wouldn't tell me the whole weekend, and I finally got a copy of it. And I went, oh my gosh. Now, I don't want I don't want this to seem like I'm having a go against people with that uh, with that who lesbians yeah who are in that type of lifestyle and stuff like that it is not it is not my intention to have a go at stuff like that but what the hell are the my thinking honestly this is utter rubbish and it's not it's not about her lifestyle. You know, forget about that type of stuff like that. What the... What What on earth is this? This is the Phantom. You know, what? Oh, it's just... I, I really, really, really hope that 
that, that at the end of this, whatever it is, they decide that, well, they find out somehow that Jen, who is rubbish as a character, she is the most boringest, ugliest, pathetic character in that whole series. And I just kind of hope they just get rid of her because it, it, it is out of tripe. Oh, I just oh, can't believe it. So what do you guys think about the big patch? <laughs> well, I I now, agree with how I you started that. See that as a, I know some people may see this as a bit of a fantasy film, but I don't, I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Look, I'm, as I said before, I'm not into the supernatural stuff, and so I'm not really a King's Quest fan from the get-go, because by the time they blast into space, they've lost me. Um <laughs> <laughs> then, then through this issue, King's Quest Two, I thought Jen was just a, a, a pathetic character. To be honest, like she's constantly going, "Oh, I can't fight. I'm not going to fight." Um, you know, she's doesn't know what she's doing. Um, is is a really, really lame character. But I guess on the that's her growing into the role. I would have thought that at some point they'd they'd have her grow into the role before they go here, but. What I like about the only thing I liked about this issue was that last page because for the first time in well in all of the King in all of the King series through the the previous series and and up to episode two here she actually showed a bit of backbone and did something assertive and forthright like back to now up to now she's just been at the back of packs and letting everyone else do the fighting and she might throw a lucky punch here or a lucky kick there but for the first time she actually is like oh i'm going to take charge and i'm going to get involved so um that was a redeeming moment for mine I, I thought yeah. I thought the story, you know, saying about lucky punches and kicks. She's actually yeah, in the battle on this one. She's punching, she's kicking, you know, she's she's gotten right into, <coughs> excuse me, right into it. And then yeah, as you say, she's quite um, up. You know, she goes and takes uh, Dale. Um, but what I think, I, I, yeah, I, I agree that Jen's a, a, a second-rate ca- character. I think she's a poor caricature of um, Robin from the Dark Knight, um, or the Dark Knight Returns, the the one where it's an older Batman. <laughs> And mm. Robin's a, 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 a young girl who, when we first introduced to Jen, Jen looks exactly like her, and I've made that point on somewhere else, and I thought they've just used her as a carbon copy, you know, a, a poor one mm. at, at that. And um, but my big concern is, you know, that they found her and she's the the the, la- the latest in a long line of, of of walkers. What happens to the line now? Um, you know. Well, yeah, it's a good question. Well, she's not even a walker. Um, so I think that's a big mistake from King in the start. They should have had her last name as Walker. At least then there'd be a tenuous, slight gr- link back to the past. But uh, yeah, I, I, but I, can, I think the, the ruins character. You can understand why she wouldn't have the last name Walker if she was lost, because it wouldn't be that hard to find someone. Because you could just do a Google search and just go, <laughs> you know, star just Walker, and then they'll scroll be, through you the know, yellow pages line or something. Yeah, so you can kind of understand the fact that, that you know, her last name's not Walker. But I look at 2040 as a guideline, and even the sci-fi fandom, where it was very, very similar, where this fandom has the the fandom has disappeared where, uh, you know, they find the lost descendant 
in both the sci-fi fandom, all 20, you know, 2040. And even though they have no idea who they are or what they are, you can still see the phantom in them. Mm. You can see the passion. You can see the hunger. You can see that they know there's more to it than what, you know, just going to school or something like whether they take up Paha or whether they're playing that video game and always playing the jungle section or something like that. There's there's that element that draws them back. There's yeah. that, you know, that they're trying to find that, that's, you know, trying to fit that circle hole in their life or something, which is obviously the legacy of the Ghost of Walks and stuff. But with Jim, there is nothing like that. You know, it, it, it's almost like Lotha is is trying to kidnap her to be able to bring her along on the adventure, if, if that kind of makes sense. No, it does. So, yeah. you know, I, 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 guess, I guess for me, it's not really the kiss or the fact that she swings that way that is the issue. It's more the character that is the issue, and that is almost kind of like the, the final straw that breaks the camel's back of, you know, that it's just like, nah, they've totally, they've totally messed it up. Now, the question that I have, which which doubles up on the whole question that you had, Steve, is what happens to the Walker legacy if there's not, go- obviously, if this continues, there's not going to be a next bloodline phantom, um, is how the hell do King Features allow this? <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose the entire story arc, since... Um... King's Watch, there hasn't been a Bloodline Phantom since Dynamite took over. Um, Jen is the, is their token, let's try and get that back happening. Um, they've, they've straight, and I guess this kind of speaks to the point that I was making in the debate from a couple of podcasts ago, they've strayed so far from Lee Fork's Phantom that this isn't someone that we recognise yeah. in any way, shape or form. Um, it might only be a minor point, but if you look at the panel where she's gone in for the kiss with Dale... She's bloody wearing the skull ring upside down. So there's just so little. <laughs> and, and on her left hand, I noticed. And I've noted um, that Lotha's got one as well. And he's wearing it on his right. So Correct. There's two, there's two skull rings going around, and Lotha's got it on his right, and she's got it on her left. Yeah. Mm. And upside down. And, yeah. It's, and yeah, it's you, just. You, it's you almost have to say that the, the guy who temporarily filled in was the Phantom is more Phantom. Than, than, than Jen and you know he had a shady past and, and all that type of stuff so it's kind of like you know and and you even go as far back as saying as the whole the last fandom which also was Dynamite that was even he was even more fandom than this is it's it's just it's just a it's just a dog's breakfast it to me it seems like they're gonna um get Lothar to to be the reboot phantom yeah, you see the way he's drawn and the way he's doing mm. stuff. He, he personifies the Phantom. You know, he's this big, muscular dude, and but it's, a, it's a it's a massive step back for them to take somehow for him to go. Oh well, unless unless Jen dies or, or oh, disappears please, somehow, please. <laughs> um, I don't know how else they're going to be able to step back from from, from this arc that they're they're trying to take us on. Mm. Yeah, all I can hope is that they realise that she's got an older brother or something like that. <laughs> Maybe. So, part two ends with with Dale, um, who has been looks like she's married to Ming, and um, <laughs> yep, she's 
um, you know, ends with the guard sees them, so our heroes get get taken away, and um, which sets up for part three, which um, well, if you're a Dale Arden fan, you you've got plenty of Dale, and all our heroes are just chained up for the whole thing, which is really exciting. <laughs> you know, I actually uh, I actually went down, I went through and did a count. I can only find four speech bubbles between Lothar and Jen in the entire episode. They don't talk a lot. <laughs> no. Now, as much as as that is a negative and stuff like that, I actually think part three is very, very important because it gives the it gives people a uh, the backstory of how Dale is married to Ming, and now you know, and then and then it kind of sets up is what's happened to Ming as well. So yeah. it, it is it is very important. It's a bit like what we're talking with um, Heart of Darkness, where you have to have that lull to be kind of set up the big ending. Because now there's only two parts, I believe. So you're expecting. So it's set up now when we've got two more parts to be able to end this season off with a bang or with another opening to another saga. But it's um, I was talking because most of people that are listening to this podcast, including us, have probably never read the Flash Gordon series or have probably never read the the other parts of the King Saga, where you almost have to read all of those parts to be able to follow what's going on. And so that. for the people that... Well, I said most. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for the people that have not read all of that stuff yet, this is a good uh, um, catch-up issue for those who came in late, pun intended. So I, I am one of those who didn't read the others. Um, and, and if anyone's listened to this far and hasn't read King's Quest 3, there's obviously a big spoiler here. But is the fact that Ming is no longer in the picture, was that revealed already in, in the previous, um, you know, in the Jungle Gyms or the, or the Flash Gordons? No, that, that, that's news to us. That, this is new. So this is, this is a huge story then because Ming the Merciless, like for him to be gone, um, that's massive. That's, that's, yeah. that's um, universe changing. So it's interesting now. Mm. Like, yeah, you know, I was in two minds. One, I was disappointed that our heroes aren't really doing much. It just chained up. But like you said, it's, it's setting up the, the story. Um, yeah, is, is Dale going to work you know, on the inside and, and try and dismantle it? From, or, or is she taking over Ming's role? It's, um, it, I feel it could go either way. Mm. Well, I completely agree with, with that, yeah. With Dynamite's history, it could go either way. Because Dynamite has totally trashed the fan of mythology, you know, mythology with, you know, Lothar and Jen and, you know, the last fandom and everything else. So why... So it's not... It's not beyond reason that they could totally destroy the Flash mythology. Because <laughs> it's obvious they don't have respect for any of the characters. The only... The only positive I could say for this, I suppose, is that uh, Daya and Dale are some are a pair of really powerful female characters, and we don't see that a lot, again, um, in uh, probably in the fandom comics, being such a, a male-dominated world, um, understandably. True, true. Um, so to see that the two of them, and Daya goes through some terrible, terrible stuff here. Um, oh, for, her, for her to be able to stand up against all of that and, and come out the other side, 
Um, but other than that, I completely agree with everything you've said there. She's, Jermaine, it's, she's uh, probably, you know, she's got more balls than half the other characters, to be honest. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt. Probably had them replaced at some stage. But uh, <laughs> every other internal organ has been. So, <laughs> but um, I after reading part two, I was I'd lost interest, and I really only read part three because of the podcast, and I'm slightly optimistic with part three, after you know with the series that maybe it could get rescued. I'm still, Jen, still a lost cause in my books. But oh, I'd only be I'd only be optimistic about the story as a standalone if you completely ignore the fact that it's uh, connected to any other universe. Yeah, it's an interesting story. But if you're, as you said, we're Phantom fans. If you're a Flash Gordon fan, if you're a Jungle Jim fan, if you're a Prince Valiant fan, you're probably hating this. Um, yeah. You've, you've got to, yeah, no one's standing. Yeah, Mandrake, I... perhaps, but even then he's, you know, not involved. So mm. yeah. We'll see what the next two parts bring us, I think. Definitely. I think it's a wait and see. Yep. Okay, so, um, moving on from Dynamite, Hermes, who we've been blowing about with their um, little mini, their uh, trade paperback available soon, you can pre-order now, including a hardcover. Um, yep. Yep, that's good news. When When's their, um, their new story coming out? Is that already out? Uh, I think it's August. August. Or is it October or September? So it's it's coming soon. Very good. Um, it is on Chronicle Chamber. Um, so if you're not slack like us and you don't want vague guesstimates, check Chronicle Chamber and it will be on that. <laughs> we should have that open when we're doing this podcast. I think it's... <laughs> we really should. <laughs> I'm sure Joe would have. Yeah. That's it. Oh, did, did you hear before, Jermaine? Um, Dan actually takes down notes. He's, he's very professional. <laughs> I always mean to do it, but I don't. Oh, no. That, no, I don't want to sound too nerdy. I, those it's, notes it's, are in my... Um, is new. <laughs> no, those those notes are in my um, database of fruit comics that I've got. So um, uh, it's not just for you. He's, <laughs> he's new and still on probation, so he's trying to make a good impression. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what what we got up to next then? 80th anniversary it's issue? competition, isn't it? Alright, so the competition. Um, oh, there was the, the photos. So this is what everyone's been waiting for, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to go back and edit at the start to say that uh, you need to hang on to the end to hear the results of the competition. So the competition. Where's our photos there, Jermaine? Have you put them up somewhere? Yeah, they're all on um, they're all on Facebook. Uh, people have been voting um, as as we discussed. I put a post up on Friday. Um, just been at that time of recording that. Basically, uh, we were at a bit of a standstill. The creators and the um, uh, people of uh, that all behind either Chronicle Chamber or uh, the podcast or you know, all the people that kind of have a little bit to do with it. And um, so we just. Decided to give it a bit of a um, an open an open invitation for the for the for the fans to be able to have a um, a say as well on who they would like who they think it was. 
So um, we won't we won't give out um, we won't say who we thought was the best, but I think some of the highlights were definitely um, uh, uh, definitely Guy Passant with his um, little edit. Um, I love the um, uh, the the Luke, uh, Luke Berry's little uh, Longo or Lambezi uh, mask, and that was there was uh, yeah, and then there was Robert's um, uh, strategically laid um, spread across his comics as well, which was um, <laughs> very well done. But um, the winner, uh, which Obviously, the fans have spoken, and that, and the winner has to be Colin Cuskelly, uh, um, with his um, with his photo in front of his. It's an impressive collection. That's all I can say. Um, so, Colin, um, congratulations! I will get in touch with you, um, and then we'll get your postal address, and we'll ship off the um, the price guide. Um, but congratulations! That uh, I, I love the story, and I think. I think one of the reasons why he won, probably not the reason, but one of the reasons is the fact that he got his whole, he got the whole family involved in it. Like he, I think he said he got his, he one of his granddaughters to help him with the mask and one of them to take the photo. And and I think that's brilliant is the fact that you know you're passing your passion onto the next generation, and that's, and you know I, I love that part of the story. Yeah, I did too. Congratulations, Colin. Um, fantastic entry. Um, I think um, most people saw that photo and have gone, oh, my God, I'd love, I'd kill to have a third of that collection um, on my bookshelf and uh, yes. just to see what he's got there. Um, I would like to give a, a quick little shout-out to Callum Markin, who was the only person who voted for my entry. So good on you, Callum. Um, I, uh, I really appreciated that. I was going to say honourable mention there to our, to our man Dan here, and first one to mask up, and, and he's got the, um, the pistols going with the with the... Cross arm pose. <laughs> you um, you really started something with the whole mask um, uh, type of thing. <laughs> oh, mate, we're, we're a lot more comfortable if no one can see our face. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it was um, it was good to see it was good to see some people actually getting into the spirit of it as well. Um, Absolutely. I also must say thank you to um, uh, Niche Press who donated the book to be given away. Um, that was very generous of them. Um, so we thank you for that. And um, I'm sure Colin, he's probably got all the through, so he probably doesn't need to put any markers in there. But um, <laughs> I'm sure it will it will take a, a, a prized um, a, a spot in that very impressive collection. We should ask him if he can actually like take more photos of his collection. Cause it, was, it was nice. It was very nice. Get the feeling that was the tip of the iceberg, didn't you? Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, so congratulations, Colin, and um, I think we might wrap this episode up, fellas. What do you think? Yeah, good call. It's been a long one. It, it has been actually. I'm just yeah, I've got the time going over here, and I'm looking at the time it is now, and yeah, it's quite late, but it's been a, a great conversation, and um, you know, half a dozen issues, and a lot to talk about, really. So um, thanks, thanks for listening, as per always. Um, please check out our, our Patreon site and, and donate. Um, and check us out on, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, what else are we on? Instagram? 
Yeah, no, def- definitely on Instagram and Twitter and the uh, Patreon slash Chronicle Chamber. Um, I'm sure Joe would appreciate um, some uh, some others kicking in to help uh, to ca- help host the website. Yeah, it would be fantastic. Um, anything else? No, I think that's it, mate. Thanks very much, boys. All right, thanks, Dan. Thank thanks, you. Jermaine. It's been fun. <laughs> it always is. And uh, we'll sit, we'll talk to you all again next time. Bye. Bye. Happy fandoming. See yous. Good day, everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of Expand the, the Phantom po- Podcast. And I stuff that up. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> we we yeah, should add a few practices while uh, Jim was away. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Right. G'day everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of Expand, the Phantom Podcast. Um, uh, what do I say next? Um, with me is all right. Yeah, with me is all right. There we go. <laughs> How many times have we done this now without Joe? And still stuffing it up. See, last time. <laughs> you're going to have to include this at the back, Mark. What was that? <laughs>